Welcome back. Jeff Cross here, your host of Friends with Employee Benefits. Today, we are really excited to welcome Senator Chris Murphy to the podcast to talk about health care in Connecticut uh, and, and uh, nationally and what the election results could mean for employers across the state. Senator, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate you uh, spending a few minutes with us. And, and I want to dive right in. And, you know, we know Democrats seem a bit divided on health care right now. Some, uh, like President-elect Biden, uh, committed to the ACA and opposed to Medicare for all or socialized medicine. Others who really do want socialized health care or Medicare for all. And so, Senator, two-part question for you, and you might have to answer the second part first. But what do you think is really going to happen on the healthcare front during a Biden administration? And then the second part of that question is, does your answer change depending on the results of the Georgia Senate runoff elections? Well, first of all, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be with you. Uh, I, I think uh, that, first of all, um, you know, we're going to continue to have to play some defense. Uh, obviously, we've been playing mostly defense over the last four years, trying to defend the Affordable Care Act, uh, the 20 million people who are insured through it, and the 130 million people who have pre-existing conditions who have rate protection because of it. Um, the uh, opponents of the Affordable Care Act are going to continue to try to use the courts to overturn it. Uh, and I think that there is a good chance that sort of the Amy Coney Barrett court um, is going to be sympathetic to some of these arguments that they should step in and unwind it. So I don't think we should accept that the Affordable Care Act is you know, going to be around for four years just because Joe Biden won. There are still some significant hurdles, uh, especially with a very politically charged Supreme Court. Um, you know, I, I do think that um, the debate uh, is very dependent on who's in charge of the Senate. Um, President-elect Biden, you know, does support uh, expanding the ACA, um, giving more people uh, the opportunity to buy in, looking at a, a, a public option and ability for um, uh, the, the, the government or Medicaid to cover more people. Um, and so that only can really happen if uh, there's democratic control of the United States uh, Senate. And, and of course, only then if there's rules changes in the Senate where you know, it's 50 votes rather than 60 that control. And that, that's far from a certainty, even if Democrats were to win majority. So I think a lot of it does have to do with not only the Georgia elections, but then, you know, what the what the vote thresholds become in the Senate. Um, while, while President-elect Biden does, does not favor Medicare for all, he does, he, he does want a public option. And I know that you, Senator, have co-sponsored a bill, the Choose Medicare Act, which would allow individuals to, to buy into Medicare if they wanted, and even allow employers to offer Medicare as their employer-sponsored plan to their employees. So can you, can you tell us a little bit about that, Bill, Senator? And, and, and if you would, can you address concerns that, because some people would say, look, a public option could destabilize the health insurance market, which obviously there's a real interest in Connecticut in health insurance. There's a lot of jobs tied to it here. And so could that potentially threaten the, the, the private insurers? Well, what really threatens America's economy is healthcare costs that have run amok. So if you really want to talk about what's holding back uh, America's businesses, uh, it's that they can't afford insurance. And families across this country can't afford insurance. There are more high deductible plans than ever before. And you have more people falling into medical bankruptcy 
um, than uh, you have since the implementation of the Affordable Care Act. So we have to tackle this question of healthcare costs. And, you know, well, I, I certainly uh, appreciate the jobs in Connecticut um, uh, that are attributed to the health insurance industry. Um, I, I'm not going to um, stop fighting to lower healthcare costs for businesses just because there are health insurance jobs in Connecticut. Uh, and to my mind, um, what we need is competition. I mean, in Connecticut, we only have two options on the exchange. Like you want to talk about a, a destabilized market, that's a destabilized market. If one of those companies leaves, we're screwed. And so we need more options. We need more competition. And Medicare can be um, a driver of competition. Now, the private insurance companies say, hey, listen, Medicare would be terrible for people. You know, folks don't want, you know, government medicine. Well, let people choose. Let people choose whether they want to be on Medicare or they want to be on a private insurance plan. And if Medicare is so terrible, if, if a public option is so bad, then people won't choose it. But if they do choose it, then that's their choice. And if businesses want their employees to be on Medicare because Medicare is cheaper or it's better care, then that's the business's choice. Um, and ultimately, I think it frankly stabilizes markets because it provides more competition. Right now, the problem is we don't have enough products being offered in state exchanges. That's destabilizing. Right, right. In the employer-based market in Connecticut, Senator, there, there's you know there's a good half dozen options for folks out there. And I guess playing devil's advocate, the 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 argument might be, well, look, you know, a, a public option, a Medicare buy-in option, would have a, an unfair competitive advantage against the private plan because. Medicare pays providers much lower than what pri private plans do. They subsidize the relatively low Medicare reimbursements. And so it, it could ultimately lead to forcing out the private payers altogether, which then you would be in a, a no competition environment with, with just a public option. I guess that would be the, the, the devil's advocate position. Right. And that's important to then read the bill, right? So the bill has in it protections uh, to try to make sure that rates um, don't, um, you know, don't ultimately crater um, because Medicare is uh, expanding its, uh, its reach. There's also nothing in this bill that stops um, uh, Medicare Advantage from being essentially the model used on the exchange uh, or in business offerings. And so there is the opportunity for real public private sector cooperation uh, here as you sort of think about how options uh, will be offered that will, um, that will expand. Um, so, you know, there's protections in the bill uh, to make sure that rates stay uh, stable. Um, and ultimately, um, you can have some private public sector cooperation here too. You know, you, you mentioned the cost of healthcare in this country, and um, you know, there's really a few issues, as I see it, a few issues at the heart of the healthcare debate in the country. And one is the quality of the healthcare we, we receive. Another is the the financing, who pays for it. But then there's the the issue of the underlying cost of care. So you're on the Health Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee, or the Health Committee. Love the acronym. Um, so can you tell me, Senator, is this committee, are you guys working on all of those three issues or is it something altogether different? Can you sort of tell us a little bit about the work that committee is doing today and especially as it relates to health? Sure. 
so we are working on all of those issues. So uh, listen, you know that we have uh, a lot of difficulty right now finding bipartisan cooperation on the issue of healthcare outside of the COVID uh, area. Uh, we've passed a number of COVID relief bills over the course of 2020, but on you know cost controls, uh, it's um, it's harder. Um, so there are a number of different things that the, the federal government can do to promote uh, downward pressure on costs. Um, one thing we can do is get serious about, as I mentioned, anti-competitiveness, but not just in the payer space, in the provider space as well. Um, you have a lot of places in the country where you have one dominant provider. And so it becomes really difficult to negotiate if that provider sort of controls everything. You know, in Connecticut, we've been able to maintain you know, somewhat of a balance between uh, Yale and, and, and Hartford and a handful of smaller players. Um, but in other parts of the country, there's just one dominant player in giant metro, uh, in giant metro areas. Um, you've also, I think, got to look at for-profit ownership of uh, healthcare entities. There's plenty of data to show that when hospitals move from not-for-profit to for-profit hands, um, you know, they start operating in the interest of the bottom line and start making decisions that ultimately jack up the, the, the cost of healthcare um, without increasing quality. And there's similar data to show that in other healthcare sectors, when you move from not-for-profit status to for-profit status, you see an increase in uh, overall cost. And then, you know, there are some other things that the federal government can do that maybe are a little bit more heavy-handed. Um, we could just decide to start using the negotiating power we have to drive down costs on Medicare, for instance. Um, you know, we've got this enormous Part D benefit that the federal government pays for, but then we distribute the negotiating power amongst a billion insurance companies. We could decide to set the cost at a federal level for those drugs, allow the private insurance companies to administer the plans, um, but negotiate the prices on behalf of all Medicare beneficiaries. That would have, believe me, um, a, a, a very quick downward pressure on, uh, uh, on costs. And I think it would be incredibly productive uh, as well. It would probably in the end stop uh, the free rider syndrome that happens with other nations being able to pay almost nothing for drugs because they know that those companies are gonna be able to get uh, whatever price they ask for in the US market. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the issue of prescription drugs is huge. I was going to save this question to the end, but <laughs> one thing, I don't know if your, your committee can do anything about this, but can we please stop all the direct-to-consumer advertising on interrupting our favorite TV shows from all the, the, the pharma companies, right? It doesn't happen anywhere else. It doesn't happen anywhere else, uh, and, and it didn't used to happen uh, in the United States. You take a look at the you know, public reporting we have about pharmaceutical company spending, and they're spending far more money on advertising and marketing than they are on research and development. And if you um, simply require them all to disarm, right, collectively, um, that money would be available to be plowed back into either cost reductions or into research and development. Um, you know, we need to trust our healthcare providers to make decisions about drugs. You know, as a, I'm an ex-underwriter, uh, I'll admit, and, and so I, I, you know, I mean, we know what, what drives the cost of insurance premium is that underlying cost of care. And so are there, are there any things that are, that are happening on the health committee, the Senate health committee today that, that you also that you want to kind of call out things that you're working on that are addressing this underlying cost of care? Anything else you want to kind of highlight right now um, that's being tossed around within that committee? Well, I mean, listen, I, I do just want to make a case here back to our initial conversation 
um, or the resulting cost controls from a single payer healthcare system or a system in which Medicare has a larger share of the market, say where it offers a public option. Um, you know, your caution at the beginning of our conversation was that, oh, well, that's gonna you know, be a problem because Medicare pays less than private insurance does. Um, well, that's in part because Medicare has such a big share um, th that they can pay less. And providers don't walk away from Medicare, they participate. Um, if you have a bigger share of the market, if Medicare has a bigger share of the market, it can do much more to control costs. Um, and it can control costs in a way that smart public policy as well. Um, it can decide to look at the areas where there is excess profit and control costs there and be careful about um, ratcheting down rates in a place like primary care where the margins are smaller. Um, so, I, you know, I know, you know, folks don't want to believe that the government can, you know, do this smartly, but um, I mean, at some point you just have to look at the evidence of what other countries have been able to do. Um, other countries who have systems that have bigger public administration of healthcare benefits um, have lower costs and better outcomes, both. Uh, and so at some point you have to sort of trust what you see. Um, so save for that, I will just argue it is probably hard to make big gains on cost controls if you aren't willing to sort of look at the federal government playing a bigger role through an expanded Medicare um, uh, program. Um, you know, if you want the government to get involved in lowering costs, then you have to give the government control over those costs. And right now the industry doesn't want that, Republicans don't want that. And so by and large, uh, you know, Congress sort of stands back and lets these costs spiral out of control. Yeah. Uh, just just uh, again, to play devil's advocate, Senator, I, I think that one, one of the concerns also about a completely socialized system, about a Medicare type product for everybody is that because the reimbursements are low uh, to the providers, relatively low and private plans subsidize that right now, that uh, you you would that that there could be an impact uh, in uh, an impact to the quality of the healthcare experience, right? And and actually, if you look at the satisfaction levels with healthcare in Great Britain and Canada and other large socialized healthcare uh, countries, it, it's it, it, and bump that up against people in the United States and their satisfaction rate with private care, uh, we actually do pretty well. And so it's just, I, I, it's a complex issue, and I think that this idea of, of you know. Uh, uh, coordination between government and the private sector is probably, uh, you know, a, a thing to look into and, and maybe in the form of, of high risk pools to help subsidize uh, the cost of, of the really uh, most expensive healthcare that's out there today. But, uh, I, I want to, I, I, I know you have limited time, so I want to wrap up and, you know, uh, Senator, our clients and our audience for this podcast, it's mostly Connecticut based employers. They offer health insurance as part of their benefits package to their employees. So, you know, what's the one message or two, if you want, if you have time, that you'd like to convey to Connecticut employers about the future of healthcare in Connecticut uh, going forward? Um, that we're beyond the point of incremental reform. I mean, this is bankrupting the nation. It's bankrupting our businesses. It is sending families into misery. Um, and nobody can understand it. It's the most Byzantine, confusing system that man has ever created. Um, I, I just spent an hour on my computer trying to understand a pretty expensive healthcare bill that I got, um, trying to figure out 
what was charged to my insurance company, what they paid, what portion I was paying, and what of that was attributable to my deductible versus what of that was contributed to my coinsurance, and was the coinsurance 20% for this procedure, and why was it 40% for that procedure, and what's that code? Why was that 40 and that? I'm telling you, this is madness. This is madness, the system that we have today, and we accept it as if it's inevitable. We, we sit around here and we pretend that we just need to make some changes on the margins, um, and all of a sudden we're going to deliver a better system at lower cost. What we have built doesn't work. It doesn't work. We are keeping it together with stitches and band-aids. Um, and so maybe you don't agree with a, a single-payer healthcare system. I'm not a sponsor of Bernie Sanders' bill, right? Um, I, I believe that you should have a public option and give people more access. But whatever you believe in, make it something big, um, because you know just allowing people to sell insurance across state lines ain't going to do it. Um, I, I think that's my message. Whichever way you want to go, uh, I just make the argument that we have to sort of knock ourselves out of this complacency because we've built something that nobody can understand. Um, it is probably beyond the realm of incremental fix. We, we absolutely agree on that. The complexity that, that confuses the end consumers, it's not okay. And, and, uh, and certainly we need bold changes. And it's being worked on even on the private sectors. I'm, I'm sure you know this kind of changing from, from a, just a pay for volume to more pay providers for actual outcomes to do the right thing the first time and avoid waste and, and have better clinical outcomes. And so uh, there's a lot of work being done to, to fundamentally change uh, the way that, that the, the delivery system and the payer system are interacting with one another. And, that's and, I, and I have great sympathy for, for employers here because you know they, they have had to be so nimble about how to structure benefits and, and employers are trying to do things that they probably shouldn't have to be in the business of doing. So, you know, for instance, you know, aligning benefits with outcomes, right? Trying to get your employees to think a little bit more about cost um, when interacting with the healthcare system. That's really important, but I'm gonna be honest, like a 20 person manufacturing company probably doesn't have the expertise necessary to design that. I know you help them with that, but it's just a it's just a really difficult business for employers to be in. I mean, our employers should be providing services to their customers, um, not having to worry as much as they do about designing increasingly complex healthcare benefits. And so, I, there, there's got to be a there's got to be a better way. And I think we all have to be part of that solution. But I really appreciate you having me a part of this today. Thank you again, Senator Murphy, for joining us today. It's been a real pleasure. Listen, folks, no, no, no matter what your political affiliation, if any, I think we can all agree that we need to do something bold. Uh, again, you all know, as listeners of this podcast, it's a bold is our, our, our catchphrase uh, this year. We, we as a nation need to do something bold to address the cost of healthcare in this country. Um, and, you know, it, it could be a, a government invention or it could be uh, solutions coming from the private sector. Uh, but one way or the other, it's, it's, it's got to happen. Uh, listen, really appreciate uh, Senator Murphy again. I hope our listeners enjoyed this episode. As always, thank you for tuning in. This has been another episode of Friends with Network.